0: Welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. Our guest today is Dr. Melissa Young, the inaugural recipient of the Sarah Wiggins Doctoral Dissertation Award from the Alabama Historical Association for her dissertation entitled Magic City Jews, Integration and Public Memory in Birmingham, Alabama, 1871 to 1911. Dr. Young graduated from the University of Alabama in 2020, and the Wiggins Dissertation Award honors Sarah W. Wiggins, Alabama Historical Association President, Alabama Review Editor, and the first female faculty member in the University of Alabama History Department. This seems fairly appropriate. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Young.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Listeners to our podcast frequently hear me ask people to tell us what they're working on, and why they're on this podcast first, but I'd like to flip that script and ask you to tell us about yourself first.
1: Sure. I'm originally from Las Vegas, but I've lived in Alabama since I was about 19, and I actually moved to Birmingham in 2014 after getting married to my husband, Martin, and starting my PhD at the University of Alabama. But I should mention I'm familiar with a lot of places in the state, so Alabama does hold a special place for me in my heart. My kids grew up in a very small town in North Alabama called Fairview. I got my BA in Athens. I got both of my masters in both English and History at UAH in Huntsville. So I'm also very familiar with that part of the state as well. I actually started my academic career as a Civil War and Reconstruction scholar. So that's just one of the reasons why I was so honored to get an award in the name of Sarah Wiggins, who I know did so much in that field. And I essentially fell in love with Jewish history when I interned at the Holocaust Education Center here in Birmingham. The former director engaged me as an intern and then hired me to create an archive for the Holocaust Center. So that really changed my interests and changed my life. I started out kind of branching out from that. Um, I wanted to pursue research in refugee assistance uh, in the Jewish community in the interwar period in the 20th century. But I actually found Birmingham's early history, the background information I was looking at, so fascinating. I sort of just made my home there (laughs) for my dissertation and didn't really move on. So I've done some side projects with the other stuff but you know I guess that will be for another day.
0: Please tell us about your dissertation. Sounds fascinating.
1: Sure. I really look at the origins of Birmingham and the role that Jewish residents played in the development of the city along several sort of parallel lines. I look at space, I look at society, and I look at memory. So in the sense of space, I look at Jewish settlers, men and women, participation in sort of real estate projects, the growth of suburbs, physical buildings, that sort of thing. Uh, In terms of society, I look at their role in politics and charities, civic events, and memory is a little bit trickier. I look at Jewish men and women's role in Birmingham's constructed history, which in its first three decades was indistinguishable from its New South promotional materials. I look at that as well.
0: You note that you have micro histories built in. Tell us about
1: those. I try to focus with my micro histories on some of Birmingham's most prominent early Jewish residents, which is a lot of people have written about. And I really found that their stories have been simplified. So I'm trying to examine all of the things that I was just talking about in relation to actual people's lives. I also look at people who are missing from previous studies on Jewish Birmingham. Mostly these are women, and that's unsurprising because a lot of those histories about early Jewish community were written before the 1990s. When you see that gender turn, you don't see a lot of sort of complex stories about women. You know, they're kind of fit into a box. So I tried to expand that in my work as well.
0: The community that you're talking about relatively limited in numbers. How many people are we talking about here on and off?
1: Well, I would say in general, you don't see the Jewish population in Birmingham ever getting over one to 2% of the population. And I think that's pretty common throughout the South, but they were overrepresented in politics, in business, in real estate development, banking, trade. But not just that, the education movement, the kindergarten movement, especially that occurred in Birmingham throughout the country during the progressive era as well. So you see, even though they were not numerous, they did a lot.
0: Are the Birmingham women active in the women's club movement a little bit later than your period?
1: They actually are quite active, not just as club women, but also as major business leaders in those early years. One of my favorite stories, and I do tend to drift toward people who have been misidentified or sort of their stories have been simplified, that is included in my dissertation, is about Sophia Wise. Sophia Wise was a woman in one of the first five families that arrived in the city. And she was a very prominent business leader in the liquor industry in Birmingham. She had a saloon of her own and a wholesale business of her own, which was very, very popular. And advertised. Uh, she had huge advertisements in the newspapers. She branched out and was a hotel manager in the 1880s and 1890s. And you see often that her husband is talked about a lot more in the histories because he was one of the first presidents of the Reform Congregation here, Temple Emmanuel. She always takes a back seat to him, but when you really begin to pick apart her life and look closely at it, you see that she she was a lot more prominent in commerce and trade. Sometimes he even worked for her, which I found interesting as well. And when she got ready to retire and do other things, she passed her contacts to her son, William, who opened a cigar and a liquor store, a wholesale and retail business here in the city with a cousin. So the business continued and she retired, kind of quote unquote retired. She was still very active in the community, but quite early in her her career. After that, she dedicated herself to the club movement a little bit later. So she was very involved in the Hebrew Ladies Benevolent Society and the HLBS here in town that was associated with the Reform Congregation was legendary for its fundraisers and its bazaars and charitable work, which was not unusual for women in religious institutions to be part of. You see a lot of write-ups in the paper where they were throwing these bazaars as fundraisers. People were just so excited because it was known that they would have the best food and the best entertainment. (laughs) So that was also part of what they did. Some of my favorite tales are associated in particular with her.
0: On a slightly darker note, you've also noted that the Jewish population of the Magic City accommodated themselves, quote unquote, to the racial hierarchies. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Like most Southern Jews, the people settlers in Birmingham in the 19th century occupied a very precarious place on the color line. They were considered white to a certain degree and enjoyed privileges that people of color did not, which was inclusion in in trade networks, and also they had the right to vote. And there was a lot of philo-Semitism, positive attitudes toward Jewish individuals in the city. But Throughout the 19th century, there were waves nationally and regionally, and unfortunately locally of anti-Semitism. So one way that they protected themselves by adopting race and class hierarchies, for some of them that had been in the South for a long time, so they felt like they were part of those hierarchies. So it, it becomes very complicated, which is why I take a look at different individuals Part of my first chapter examines the two Jewish families. The first two Jewish families that came here were the Simons and the Marxes. And Samuel Marx, sort of the patriarch of the Marx family that came here, lived in Montgomery for several decades before he came to Birmingham. So he was already very acculturated. Other people were transatlantic migrants or came from northern cities. And they navigated those hierarchies. Part of what I look at is how they did that and even question why they did that, speculating on all of those larger questions that have to do with that precarious position in, quote unquote, whiteness, right?
0: This sounds like it's been quite a project. Leaving that, tell us about other projects that you may have going now or in the future.
1: So I'm working on right now on a very exciting, public-facing project in Birmingham with a local synagogue, Temple Bethel. This particular project, of course, deals with my love, Birmingham's Jewish history. <laughs> Um, And we're really looking uh, with some community leaders, and I have a colleague there, her name is Margaret Normansh, and we're checking out and doing research that connects to sort of these intersections, these overlaps between the city's Jewish history and what's commonly known as the civil rights era, right? That from 1954 until the movie in 1968. It's been such an exciting project. We call it the Bethel Civil Rights Experience, rather than just an exhibition or a visitor site because it's so multifaceted. Right now, it includes a historic marker that commemorates the attempted bombing of the temple in 1958. It also has a walking tour that people can do with the Travel Stories app uh, on their phones. We also do student workshops. We just did a huge one. A student group came from California and there were 96, which took me back to my days as a high school teacher (laughs) in North Alabama. It was crazy, but very rewarding as well. We do internship projects. We plan to release a short film in addition to an exhibition on site. And I'm working on a supplemental educational project that we're going to release online by the end of the summer. So it really is and experience and the idea is that this is such an important history and quite relevant to the current times. Obviously, that we really want people not just to connect intellectually but also emotionally, and for it to be a temple that's a living sort of representation of history, a living site of history, people can look at how the past could connect to the present. So, that's part of what we're doing. It's been very exciting.
0: Do you have a delivery date for this when it might be open to the public?
1: Of course, the Travel Stories app and the historic marker on the outside of the building is open to everyone. We're looking for the online educational supplement, which will also be available to everyone perhaps having a launch date of July or so, people can go through that training and become ambassadors of this history where they learn a great deal about both Jewish history during that time as well as just general civil rights history in the city. And we're working with a lot of community partners to do that. But so we're looking at that being released, like I said, in July. And then the visitor center, we think between the end of the summer and the end of the year. So that's a little more complicated because there's a film and there's also an exhibition. So some of it's up and running right now, and some of it by the end of the summer, and then some by the end of the year.
0: So the deadline is getting close. Certainly by January, this will be running enough that people in Birmingham and people who travel to Birmingham can enjoy all of the components of this very remarkable experience. What have I not covered that you'd like to discuss?
1: One thing that I wanted to say because I had such a lovely experience at the AHA conference in April was how excited and humbled and honored I was to receive, as I mentioned before, the Wiggins Award because I had read about how much Sarah Wiggins had done in her career, especially for women scholars in UA's history department, which obviously is close to my heart. So I wanted to say thank you to so many people came up to me after the award was granted at the banquet and told me such lovely, interesting stories about her. And I just want to thank all those people for those moments. Many of them were her former students, and it was just so wonderful to hear those stories. And it made me appreciate, I was already so honored, but it made me appreciate the award even more. It just made it really special for me.
0: And thank you for doing that. It's very nice to have not only that award available to honor Sarah Wiggins, but to honor you as well. I'm not trying to put any pressure on you, but I look forward (laughs) to great things coming from you. And thank you very much for joining us.
1: Well, it was great to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at City Stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org.